I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant at Boldside, where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you want to invest in your team culture and you're currently leading a team, DM me on LinkedIn and let's chat about how we can work together. Been running heaps of workshops around the country on leadership and culture and they've just been so good. My big learning from the last few weeks has been the best teams and the most healthy teams have regular brave conversations. They just have gotten into the habit of doing that. So if this sounds like you, something you're interested in, let's chat. All right, today's episode is going to be a bit spicy. We're talking about 99-ish boss problems. So if you've got a problem with your boss at the moment and you don't know how to handle it, we're probably going to cover it on this episode. I've got a stack of questions. A bunch of listeners sent through questions on the My Millennial Money Facebook community and then I've had a couple come through on LinkedIn as well. I'm going to be answering them anonymously. So let's just dive straight in. Buckle up. It's going to be a good one. All right, first question. I don't think my manager likes me. What can I do about it? Well, I'm going to be one of those annoying people that answers your question with a question. And I feel like that's the worst. When you're asking a question, you want someone's advice and they ask a question back to you and you're like, wait, no, just tell me the answer. (laughs) Sorry. So I am going to be that person. My question back to you is, do you need them to like you? I'm just pausing for dramatic effect. Like, I want you to think about that. Do you need them to like you? And likability is a thing. I think there's something in us as humans that just naturally wants to be liked. I think we all want to be liked. And when you feel like maybe you don't have that type of relationship with your boss or you feel like they play favourites or they maybe have closer relationships with other people, that can be hard. So I'm not diminishing that. I think I want you to answer that question of, can you still do a good job regardless of whether they like you or not? Or do you feel like that's a need that has to be met? I think we all have this thing in us that really wants that type of healthy relationship. And we think of a healthy relationship as one where we've got, I guess, that likability between two people where there's this warmth and it's easy and it comes naturally to us and there's heaps of rapport. But not all relationships are like that. I guess if you're wanting to build the relationship and you're wanting to make it stronger than it is right now, there's a couple of things I would do. So the first thing is focus on what's in your control. So you can't actually make them like you, but you can influence how they perceive you by doing a few things. And the first thing is getting to know them better. So finding out what matters to them. Once you uncover what matters to them, you can then see how your working style is either aligning with that or maybe not matching that. So if you know what 
they like in terms of working relationships and what they don't like, you can start to adapt your style to meet that need. So I would, in your one-on-one, ask them what their pet peeves are. And you can do this in a really curious way. Just say, hey, I'd love to know more about what you like on your team and what annoys you on your team. What are some of your pet peeves when it comes to work? And keep it quite open. It doesn't have to be about people. It can be, what are some of your pet peeves about work? Or what are some of the challenges at the moment for you? And just start being curious about their working style, about what energizes them, what depletes their energy. So you can ask some of those questions and you can be as straightforward as, hey, what depletes your energy? What things happen on our team that make you really excited? So ask, write down some of those curious questions. Rewind if you have to go back because I don't remember all the questions I just listed, but I think some of them are quite good. (laughs) So you can use those and you're welcome. So what I want you to do is have some of those conversations to get a bit of a sense and get a bit of a read on what matters to them. And once you know those things, you can start working to that. You can start adjusting some of your behaviour to get the best out of people. I don't think that's being manipulative. I think that's bringing the best out in a relationship. Just on the flip side of this, because I know sometimes it is a struggle when you feel like your relationship with your manager isn't very strong. And for me, when I think about the relationships that I've had with people at work, some of the best relationships I've had have been slow burns. There hasn't been that initial rapport or that like instant connection. And they're the relationships that have taken years to develop. So like some of my closest work friends now from way back, we worked together for a long time. We've spent seven years developing a relationship that now I think will be those lifelong relationships that we have. But it's really interesting because it wasn't like an initial we're best mates. It was over time, day in, day out, getting to know people, getting to understand the way they work, all their little nuances, all their little weird things that they do that you like and maybe don't like. And think about it as a slow burn. And I think the best way if you do want to fast track the slow burn is be curious. Be curious about your boss. Be curious about what they're interested in and find ways that you can maybe adapt some of the behaviours to bring out the best in your working relationship. The only final thing I would say on this is be careful not to make an assumption. Sometimes we overanalyse the relational dynamics and we filter it through a lens of insecurity. We perceive things, we think, I don't think they like me. And then we start looking for that. And that becomes like a bias where we look for evidence that validates the belief that they don't like us every interaction we start to perceive in that way. And sometimes that can come down to a total assumption that's completely off base and incorrect. So that's my final little word in there. Okay, next question. My manager doesn't give me enough positive feedback. How do I ask for more without seeming really needy? <laughs> I, you know what? This makes so much sense. And I reckon there'd be so many people listening right now, nodding their heads, being like, yes, this one, this is it. <laughs> I'm just imagining the conversation. Like it's, it feels so awkward in our minds to be like, I just need you to give me more positive feedback. Like I really need that. But you know what? It's kind of like the love languages. If you know the five love languages, one of them is words of affirmation. 
And so the words of affirmation, people, they need regular feedback and they need regular, not just regular feedback, they need regular positive feedback. But if your manager's not that and they're more like a gifts person or maybe they're quality time and they don't intentionally go out of their way to encourage people, well, that can cause a bit of a rift in that relational dynamic between you and your boss because you're there going, I need more positive feedback. That's what motivates me. But for your boss, they're not driven by that and they're not motivated by that. So they don't think to do it. And that's a really long-winded way of saying, I feel you. (laughs) I feel you. This is, it's a really interesting one. It's very vulnerable to go up to your boss and say, look, like, I don't feel like you give me enough positive feedback. That's a really vulnerable thing. And not everyone will feel safe to do that. But if you have that kind of relationship where you've got a lot of trust, I would encourage you to point blank say that. And you could frame it in this way. So you could go, hey, this could be a little bit awkward, but I'm just going to be really honest with you. My love language is words of affirmation. And so I feel energized at work when I get encouragement and regular feedback. One of the things that I feel like I'm lacking at the moment is that positive feedback. And I know it sounds a bit needy to say this out loud and I feel awkward about it, but I just want to say it. Is there space for us to have more regular conversations about feedback? Good, bad and ugly. And you can kind of throw that in there about the good, bad and ugly, but at least you're saying the point about, hey, this is who I am. Like I value encouragement. That motivates me. I think it's important to go to the why. So why does that matter? So you can talk about how that helps you to be more engaged at work, which is in your manager's interest. You can talk about how it helps keep you motivated. It helps keep you on track. So by linking in, well, why does this matter? You're showing them there's value in them proactively encouraging you. And I know these conversations are so funny, right? Like we have to have the funniest conversations at work. I feel like work is just such a melting pot of all these different dynamics. But it's kind of similar to what I said up front where you need to get to know your manager and what makes them tick. But they need to get to know you. Your manager benefits from knowing what motivates you. So if you're motivated by encouragement and positive feedback, don't be embarrassed about that but I want you to have the conversation with your boss to say, hey, this is something that I find I do my best work when I'm getting regular positive feedback as well as constructive feedback. At the moment, I don't think I'm getting that. And so I feel a little bit deflated or I feel like I don't know if I'm on the right track. And so my motivation is a little bit lower or I'm procrastinating on certain activities because I don't know if I'm in the right zone doing the right things. So what's in it for them? Think about, okay, well, what's in it for them? They benefit from knowing how you're motivated because then they can help get the best out of you. Just like we said up front about you bringing out the best in your manager. I want to add a left field thought here. I've written some notes as I've been thinking about these questions that have come through. And one of my notes was to think about why do you need positive feedback? So if the motivator is because it helps you feel energized, it helps you get into the state of flow, it helps you be more productive, well, that's great. 
But if you need positive feedback because it's to do with having a fragile ego, so coming from me as someone who's self-diagnosed with a fragile ego, there's no judgment here. This is a safe space. I think a lot of us have a fragile ego, but we need to come to terms with our ego. Our ego can get in the way sometimes and it can show up as insecurity. It can show up as feeling like we need a lot of external validation. And if you're feeling like you need positive feedback because you need external validation to feel valuable or you need external validation to feel a sense of self-worth, then that can be a dangerous spot to be in because we're not always going to get that. And I know for myself, I like a feedback. I say on this podcast every week, give us a five-star rating and review because I have a fragile, <laughs> I have a fragile ego. But if I relied on those five-star ratings to get my sense of value, that's a scary spot. Because when you get the one-star rating with the person that tells you that you're incompetent, (laughs) it's world-shattering. And I know I'm laughing about this, but I think it's important to diagnose why do you need positive feedback and affirmation? What is the driver? If the driver is because of a fragile ego, and you can read Ryan Holiday's work on The Ego is the Enemy. I've talked about it before on the podcast. That really helped me understand this. And it helped me to come to terms with what does an ego problem actually look like? And it doesn't look like what we always think it does. So go in the show notes, have a look at his work. But my point is do this deep work to understand do you need positive feedback because it helps you to be more productive? Or do you need positive feedback because your identity and value is caught up in your work? And if that's the case, you need to read Ego is the Enemy and go on a bit of a deep work process about that because I don't think it's a safe spot to be in. Anyway, that got deep really quick. Look at us go. I knew this episode would be a lot of real talk. Okay, next question. My boss is a micromanager. What can I do to change this? Yeah, micromanagement is really tough and it's not something that helps people to thrive. When you're working for a micromanager, what tends to happen is we get into a vicious cycle of self-doubt and so all of a sudden we start questioning our decisions, which weirdly validates our manager's reason for micromanaging us because our confidence gets lower, our decision quality reduces and then they need to micromanage us more. It's weird. It's this, it's a horrible cycle. But for me, micromanagement is an issue of trust. So we need to focus on trust. So don't focus on the, okay, this person is a micromanager and labeling them as that. I want you to focus on, okay, what can I control? Well, number one, I can build trust. You can do that. That is something within your sphere to influence. So I want you to start thinking, how do I build trust with my manager? Because you might not be able to change their style necessarily, but you can certainly increase their confidence in you by building trust. And there's a few ways we can do that. The first way, we've already talked about this, but find out the areas that they're most interested in. So usually it'll be a specific thing. So they might be interested in the client experience and they might be, you can notice the patterns and themes. So when they're asking you for information, what are they focusing on? 
Are they focusing on a particular area of your work? Are they focusing on a particular concern in the business? And start writing down what you observe because that'll speak to what they're most interested in. Once you know that, then I want you to focus on how do you over communicate about work you're doing in that space? Let's say you feel a bit micromanaged when it comes to customer communication. So your manager has asked you to CC them in to every customer comms piece you send out. So that can feel a little bit like, oh, what are they, are they monitoring me? What's going on? What I want you to do is to start getting on the front foot with your communications to the clients. So sending them things that they can proof ahead of time and give you feedback on and that they can start to see you're building your skill set in that particular area. So you're building trust, you're over communicating. The other thing is if they're worried about deadlines, so if they're trying to micromanage a deadline or something getting out, I want you to get super proactive about communicating where your tasks are up to. The way you could do this, at the start of the week, you could send them an email and say, hey, I'm working on X, Y, and Z this week. These are my top priorities and this is the estimated timeline or due date. And at the end of the week, you can close out the week by saying, hey, just as a heads up, this is what I got done. This is what's been pushed back and this is why. Whether they respond or not is irrelevant to me. It's you taking the action and being proactive in your communication that builds that trust. They don't feel like they have to chase you for stuff and then all of a sudden they stop feeling that sense of anxiety about, oh, what's Shelley doing over here? They know because I sent them the pre-email at the beginning of the week and the one at the end of the week. So there's a few ways to build trust that help them to start to think, oh, I don't need to stay in the detail as much here. The other thing you can do is ask them, hey, is there something that you're feeling like I'm not doing that means you have to get into the detail of this? It's a way you can kind of dig into what's going on for them and understand, is there something that you're missing? Is there some feedback that you need from them about maybe there's been some gaps? So the biggest thing is to over-communicate if your boss is a micromanager and work on building the trust in the areas that are most important to them. All right, next question. I think my boss is a narcissist. I don't know if that's a question or a statement or just a thought that this person's had, but I feel you. And this is funny. This thing of narcissism comes up a fair bit. I often hear people say, oh yeah, they're a narcissist. And it's kind of like this label that we throw around. But I don't think that we should label people like this because statistically they're probably not because narcissists are only like one in every 200 people. So it's, I think that's like 2% of the population. Don't quote me on the stats. So the likelihood of them actually being a narcissist is very low. Most likely what people are referring to when they say, oh, my boss is a narcissist or that person is a narcissist is they're talking about narcissistic behaviours or traits. I'm just going to rattle off a few narcissistic traits so you can start to kind of get a sense of the list, but there's a lot. So a superiority complex, fragile ego, perfectionism, a need to be the centre of attention, lack of empathy for others, the need for control, controlling behaviours, fear of rejection and ridicule, and an inability to be vulnerable. So there are a few examples. And I think we can all have those. As I'm listening, as I read that list off, I'm just thinking, oh yeah, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. I think we can all relate to 
those behaviors at various points. But if we think about it more as a continuum rather than as a label, we need to kind of understand, okay, well, what behaviors am I okay with? What behaviors are negotiable for me? Okay, that's kind of annoying, but I'm going to put up with that. And what behaviors are non-negotiable? So what things are you like, absolutely will not tolerate this? For example, you might be working for a manager who displays a perfectionistic tendency and you might be like, well, that's, I can tolerate, that's fine. Like that's a negotiable. I kind of wish they didn't hold such high standards, but I can put up with it versus someone who has a complete lack of empathy and that when you're having some kind of personal situation, they aren't able to show you empathy. So that might be a non-negotiable for you. And you might think, no, I actually need, I need to work for a leader who can display empathy. And this, like, let's take the narcissism thing off the table, because I think that's kind of neither here or there. Let's just focus on behaviors. What are the behaviors for you that you absolutely need to have in a manager? What are the things that you think this is non-negotiable for me in my work environment. And then think about, well, what things are, because every leader has strengths and weaknesses. Every leader. They're going to do things super well and they're going to do other things that you think, gee, that could have been done better. That's just the nature of it. For you, you need to work out what are you prepared to put up with and what aren't you? And once you know that, you can kind of look at it a bit more objectively. You can go, oh, yeah, I know that about that person. They can be a bit controlling, but I'm fine with that because they're really strong in this area and this area, and those are non-negotiable for me. For me, honesty is non-negotiable. I want to feel like there's this level of authenticity and honesty that they're going to tell me the truth when there's a problem and they're not going to talk about it behind my back. The other one would be gee, this is a hard exercise. What are the other non-negotiables? Genuine care and empathy. I think they're the two non-negotiables. I don't think there's many. Like, So I want you to th- create your own list. Your negotiables is the side where, you know what, I'm going to tolerate that. It's not a deal breaker. And then your non-negotiables are things that I have to have this from my leader to feel like I can work well here. So do your own version of that after this episode. Okay, next one. How do I reset the boundaries with my manager? I remember after I had my first baby, Sunny, so she's five now, I used to work really massive hours. And then after having a baby, obviously your life changes and you can't do the same level of commitment that maybe done before. And so that was a reset process. And I think we need to have regular conversations about our boundaries and looking at if you have some kind of change in your life, if you, or if you just decide, you know what, I'm sick of doing this. I can't keep this pace or level of work. Then it's really healthy to have a reset conversation with your boss. We've talked about this on an episode previously, four ways to build healthy boundaries. So I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. But if you want to have a reset with your manager, I would simply In your next one-on-one, tell them what you're struggling with. So be vulnerable. Say, hey, I'm finding this part of work challenging at the moment. When I see your emails at eight o'clock at night, I feel like I need to respond because that's what you expect. And have an expectations conversation. Talk about 
I'm feeling like the need to turn my notifications off because I'm worried I'm going to get an email and it's going to ruin my weekend. Find your version, whatever your version of that is, and tell them what you're struggling with. Often what happens in those conversations is we realise that our boss didn't actually expect that of us, but we felt the pressure to respond or to work those extra hours or whatever it is because for some reason we felt like it was implied, an implied expectation. And that's why I think it's really important that we have regular reset conversations. And sometimes when you have a life change, it makes it easier because you can say, look, this thing's changed in my life and now I'm no longer able to do X, Y, and Z that I previously did. But it doesn't have to be because you've had a life change. It could just be that you're realizing that maybe some of those habits that you developed weren't very healthy and sustainable. So you can talk about that. You can use that of saying, hey, I've realized that some of my behaviors aren't really sustainable in the long term. Like the amount of hours that I'm working are no longer sustainable. And I really want to be here in the long term. And so to do that, I think I need to reset some of those boundaries. Can we talk about that? So that's how I'd frame up that conversation. And then make sure, go back and listen to that boundaries episode we did a little while back. All right, we're going to go to a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to hit you with one final question on pitching your ideas to your boss. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audio book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Now let's get back to the show. 
the problems. So if you're wanting to pitch a new idea, we have to get really clear about the problem that we want to solve. And often our leaders, if we're just kind of saying, hey, there's this new product on the market, it's going to do this and this, let's do it. But you're not talking them through about the current state problems. You might not be getting their buy-in because they don't understand what you're trying to fix. And Matt Purcell, who's been on the podcast before, he says pain is the pitch. He can sell anything. I swear, he's every time I talk to him, I'm like, I just want to buy stuff of you. Like, can I please buy things? <laughs> and the reason he's so good at selling stuff and he's such a good marketer is because he understands that pain often is what causes people to buy into something. So we have to get good at selling what is the problem we're trying to solve. So if you want to change something in your business, let's say you can see that using this new software will automate and create all these efficiencies and make everyone's lives better. Talk about the problem that you're experiencing now. So what is the problems with the systems? Quantify that for them. Get it into a number. So go, okay, at the moment, this particular process is costing us X dollars and X time and it, we're losing customers here, here and here. Here's how we can solve that with this solution. But spend more time talking about the problem than talking about the solution to get their buy-in because once they hear the pain points, they're going to be more interested in the solution. The other thing I want you to do is read books on sales I read To Sell is Human by Daniel Pink a little while ago. I love Daniel Pink, anything he puts out I read. And that was super helpful. So it's about the process of sales and how as people we're always selling something. We need to master the art of sales. So that was a really good insight for me as a HR person who's never had to do sales before to learn, okay, well, how do you actually sell things to people? How do you influence people? The other thing I want you to do is put together a one-page business case. So your ideas, document them, put effort in. The more effort you put into that pitch, include a cost analysis. Do the detail because when you can present that and you can show the initiative that you've put into it, again, you're more likely to get your idea across the line. The final thing I'll say about helping your manager go on that change journey, if they're blocking your ideas or they're not open to your ideas, is to build the desire. And if you think about that change management, the ADCAR stuff, put a link in the show notes to it, you can read about it after this. Building desire for change is really important. So I want you to work on those skill sets of influence of how do I create desire in someone else? And often to create desire in someone else for something, we need to understand their motivations. What are they motivated by? What moves them to action? So for one manager, they'll be really interested in cost. So if they can find a cost savings, they will totally buy in. For the next manager, they'll be interested in energy. And they're like, if something's costing them emotional energy, if it's stressing them out or if it's stressing the team out, because it's just a painful process. They're less interested in cost, but they're more interested in, oh, if this takes that emotional load off my team or off me, great, let's pay the money, sort it out. For someone else, it might be that they want to use the time elsewhere. So they want to reinvest that time into a strategic activity. Your job is to find out what is their motivator. 
what is their motivator as a manager? And then how do I make sure in my pitch to get my ideas across the line that I'm linking it to what they care about? All right. We have some more questions from the Facebook community that I didn't get to. So I think I might do a part two on this one. So go do the things. Let me know how you go. Message me on LinkedIn and let me know how you go with all this. All right. As always, that fragile ego wants a five-star review. As I said, ego is the enemy, everyone. Make sure you read it. You will not regret it. It's changed my life. (laughs) Not enough to stop asking for these reviews. Anyway, that's enough from me. See ya. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, and My Millennial Daily. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.